Welcome to another episode of Fitz Nation. My guest this week is Robbie Fox from Barstool Sports. This guy has certainly crammed a lot into his first 22 years of life. He had the goal of working for Barstool back when he was like 13, 14 years old, would email in, would hassle him, would not leave him alone, and uh, said, one day I've got to work there. He ended up getting an internship there, and now, of course, he is their MMA blogger and wrestling and music and all sorts of fun stuff, and he's just 22. He's got a great podcast of his own, by the way. It's called My Mom's Basement, on which Dana White has been a guest several times. We talk about Robbie's interactions and his relationship with Dana White, his super fandom of Conor McGregor, because there is no bigger Conor McGregor fan, and he's had a lot of fun and interacted and met Conor McGregor before. We get into all that and much more. So let's get to it. Here is my guest this week from Barstool Sports, Robbie Fox. All right, dare I say the uh, UFC fan with the most influence, more influence than any other fan. That's what I think. Wow. Robbie Fox, how are you? I mean, I'm doing fantastic after that introduction. You really hyped me up there. What would you call yourself? Like when people say, what do you do? What do you say? See, I say blogger, and I feel like everyone at Barstool still says that. It's kind of like just it's stuck from the old days, but it obviously doesn't encapsulate everything we do. At this point, blogging is only like a, a part of what we do. Yeah. Um, but I still say blogger, yeah, or like fan. Like you just said fan, like I'm cool with that. I'd rather you say fan than like analyst or expert. Whenever someone says that, I'm like, no, 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 no. no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Journalist. No, definitely not. Yeah. Because that's where you, you'll say like the haters. When I mentioned you on the broadcast, right? I was just like, oh, Robbie Fox, noting that it's a 25 foot octagon. And you said, oh, the haters must have must have loved that one. Who are the haters? Like, are the haters the serious journalists? Oh, man. I mean, at this point, I see like I've seen a lot of support like uh, compared to when I first started doing mm-hmm. MMA coverage with Barstool a lot more, a lot more people kind of understand it. But I think in the beginning, people thought I was sort of trying to come at it as like, I'm disrupting journalism and I'm, I'm this new young journalist who's going to, you know, take what you guys have worked for. If you want to use the Nate Diaz quote, right. But like, that's not the way I ever approached it. And I was more like, Hey, I'm very transparent about it. I'm a fan. I'm super passionate about UFC. I'm as passionate as anyone about it. You know, I might not be the best at trivia or gambling or picks, but like I've got the passion for it. I would say, yeah, the haters are the people that misinterpret that and think that, you know, I'm trying to be the next Ariel Helwani with my coverage. (laughs) And they're like, well, well, you're, you know, you're sucking up to Dana on your interviews. It's like, yeah, like I'm doing a comedy interview with them. My interviews with Dana, I look at, uh, more similarly to like a late night show, like a Dana going on like Jimmy Fallon than I do him talking to Brett Akimoto. Right. For, for so yeah, I would say the haters are the people that misinterpret that, whether they be people in the media, journalists, who plenty of them don't like me. I mean, for that, even the McGregor reaction video when I was reacting all yeah. excited on press row, <laughs> they didn't like that because they say, you know, I was showing bias. They showed me the clause where it says in the contract that I said I wouldn't do that. All right, whatever. But it's that or the, yeah, or the fans. Or Khabib fans. Khabib fans hate me too. Oh, right, of course. Well, that, that goes without <laughs> saying. Anyone who fights Connor is going to hate you. Um, so I want to get to like your coming up as a, a blogger and then uh, how you found your way to Barstool and your interviews with Dana and McGregor. There's obviously a lot of, a lot of colors to your rainbow. But um, I want to start with a general question of, what is it like to work at Barstool Sports? 
I mean, it's different every day. I feel like that's like the only way I could say it is some days it's the greatest job in the world where you're like, this is unbelievable. We're doing say a rough and rowdy day. That's when I feel like I'm the luckiest man on earth. When I'm with Dave and Big Cat and these people that I I read their work, I watched their videos growing up, literally like kind of looked up to them and I'm commentating alongside them. We had a rabid crowd behind us pre-COVID, obviously. Uh, Pup Punk Days, we have a parody band at Barstool that I play in. When we're putting on shows at sold out venues that I've seen my favorite bands at, it's the most surreal thing in the entire world. That's my favorite thing I've ever done at Barstool is the music stuff. Because it's just like, you would never even dream of that stuff happening. Um, and then there's some days where let's say you make a mistake. Well, now your ass is in the jackpot because your meeting with your boss is happening on Sirius XM and your boss is Dave Portnoy and he doesn't hold back. So those days you're like, you know, you're, you're shaking like, Oh my God, I'm just waiting for like 4 PM to come so I could get my like ass kicking or whatever. But as long as you're staying in your own lane, doing your work, it's the best job in the world. You have more freedom than you could ever imagine. There's no deadlines. Nobody's telling you, hey, do this uh, by Friday. Hey, make sure you have these numbers by the end of the month. doesn't exist. As long as you're making content that is deemed uh, funny, you're good. Yeah, but you've messed up to the point where you have to go on the radio and answer to Portnoy? Oh my God. Yeah. I didn't, I, I didn't realize. I mean, I know he doesn't hold back and I know that he does think a lot. I've, so it's funny. Cause you said you grew up, you know, big cat and, and Portnoy and stuff. Like I remember KFC, Barstool. The original guys. Yeah, yeah. And like Portnoy is obviously from the Boston area where I'm from. And I remember, uh, my, my sister's, uh, boyfriend at the time, he worked at a liquor store bringing home the paper. And he's just like, check this out, Barstool Sports. It's pretty funny. Like way early days, right? And then it turned into a blog when I was in college and, you know, the internet was in full swing at that point. So it's just like, yeah, I mean, it's wild that I even, that what Barstool has become, it's just the best thing ever. I mean, the Barstool Instagram feed is, for my money, the best Instagram page going. (laughs) And then just all the, all the spinoffs that they've done is just, uh, it's amazing. Tell me the story about the most like, shaking in your boots in terms of that radio like what happened oh man so there's two there's really two um stories the original one was like three years ago it was right after mayweather mcgregor had happened i remember that and i was in california filming a video at uh like a nerd convention called TechCrunch. i was doing like a man on the street type thing mm-hmm. So it's kind of following along with Sirius through Twitter, our Sirius XM radio show at the time. I was following along through Twitter and I saw someone tweeted something about Dave versus KFC and the office was, were taking sides, Team Portnoy, Team KFC. And I wasn't in the office, so I didn't really know what was happening. I didn't realize there wasn't really any kind of inner office feud going on. It was more of just, you know, lost in context, a Twitter joke. And I tweeted like Team KFC or something, very harmless. But KFC was just kind of like my guy. He was my mentor. Dave was off running the business. KFC yeah. was helping me out in, in the beginning days. And Dave, I remember, quote tweeted it, and he just said, career suicide. And I was just like, uh-oh. And that plane <laughs> my back, <laughs> Brendan, oh, my God, it was tough. And they were quotes, and he had just bought me a ticket to Mayweather McGregor, too. Right. Yeah. So he was just going on. I mean, the worst things you could say about me. And I was just like taking it, taking it, taking it. And then eventually we smoothed things over. Everything was fine after that. 
But then about a year ago, we have the Duncan Awards every year, kind of the Barstool Dundies. If you're an office yeah, fan, sure, sure. you know, we literally go to a Dunkin' Donuts in Queens and we all dress up and we do an award ceremony. Hold on. Has this been released? I didn't, or is oh, this yeah. just, just for we've the We've done office? it twice. No, we've done it twice. Live How did I miss everything. this? Oh it's my goodness. Very, it's very funny. And Dave very much hosts it like Michael Scott, you know, not even trying to be like Michael Scott. He just always winds up roasting the office. Yeah. Yeah. So last year we showed up and I thought I was wearing a very nice outfit. Now you've seen me at UFC events. When I dress up, I'm still kind of dressed down. It's just I don't know. I look, I look like a, a ventriloquist puppet if I'm dressed up. Like, I just look strange. So I usually still wear a hat or I'll wear a dress shirt and khakis or something. Right. That's what I was wearing that day. And a few other people were not dressed up at all. And Dave took offense to that, saying, this is the Duncan Awards. This is one of our major advertisers. You're disrespecting you know, our advertisers by not dressing up. I thought I was dressed up. I really did. And he even, that's the worst. To sort of prove a point, I went to the UFC Hall of Fame the next week and I wore the same exact outfit I had worn to the Duncan Awards, nice. the UFC Hall of Fame, just to be like, just so this you know, it wasn't nice. disrespectful. Right, right, this right. is, yeah. And I, by the way, not to name drop and brag here, but I was also interviewing Danny Boyle that day. He was one of my favorite directors in the entire world. And I was like, even like, I, I remember sending my sister a picture of me and Danny Boyle and being like, look, I dressed up for Danny Boyle. Yeah. Um, but man, he laid into me then. But we're on good terms now. I saw him today right. in the office, and it was actually the first time I'd seen him in weeks because I'm not going in very often at all in the, at this point because of COVID. Um, but we had a conversation about the first cassette he had ever purchased, which was uh, a Van Morrison one. And Van Morrison. We're yeah. all good now. Did you ever purchase cassettes? Because you're how are you? 21 or 22? I'm 22. I had never actually made a purchase of cassettes, but I right. remember having cassettes as yeah. like a really house. kid. I remember having like a Barney cassette. Right. So you were so born like, in 97 or 98? 98. 98. Yeah. July 9th, smokes. 1998. See, this is why I like talking to you. You keep me young, right? I, I keep my foot in that demographic, right? But oh, I yeah. still, I had cassettes. Um, I like talking to you. We got similar passions. Uh, seriously. So... All right. So now I want to get back into like how, and I think that this is nice because of the Twitter trend going on, how it started, how it's going. Right. And yeah. you put up the picture the other day, how it started. And I think it was a tweet at KFC, like, just like, Hey man, uh, you don't have an MMA blogger to a picture with you with Dana, how it's going because <laughs> you and Dana are now like boys. So when did you decide, this is another thing about you. I didn't re I thought they made fun of you for being the young looking guy that's like older. Like, you know, we all know guys who are like 32 who still look like they're 20. And yeah. I was just like, oh, Robbie's this guy. He's the whipping boy because he looks young. And then I'm like, wait a second. He's 19 and he's working at Barstool. And I was just <laughs> like, good for him. That is incredible. Um, and I, it took me like a year to realize that. So you started a blog, an MMA blog specifically, like when was your job or was your goal always like media? Like I want to cover sports or like, what was, what was it like growing up in New Jersey as Robbie Fox? Yeah. So I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I originally, I wanted to be either a movie director or a professional wrestler. And now yeah. someone with my frame, you know, I, I don't look like there's, yeah, there's certain, I look like a movie director. I think I can still pull that right, off. Right, maybe yeah, one day, yeah. But, uh, 
uh, I, I kind of wanted to be those two. And this is going to sound crazy, but when I was 12, uh, my older cousins, I have a brother that's 12 years older than me, a sister that's nine years older than me, and I have a ton of older cousins. So I've always been like a little mature for my age. And my cousin showed me Barstool at a family party when I was like 12 years old. They were like, this is so funny, funny videos all day. You would love it. I had just got a phone. I'm sorry if you hear those signs. Yeah, that's all right. New it's New York City, right? Um, and I was, I was immediately like, this is awesome. It, what drew me to it too wasn't even necessarily the stories and the blogs. It was the rundown and the video content of Dave, Big Cat, KFC, Feidelberg, all of these guys. I was like, they're getting paid to be friends. They're having fun as friends and that's their job. Like people love watching it. I loved watching it. So I kind of like took a liking to it right away. And when I was 13, started applying to Barstool. I started sending, because they would be very open about their email yeah. addresses and stuff. So I would send in t-shirt designs that I made on my iPad, like, with my finger, I would send in blogs. I would send in, you know, I'll work for free. I got a response from Big Cat when I was 14. And he was like, dude, I appreciate that, you know, you've been sending us all this stuff for a while now, but you're 14. There's just no way we could hire you. And Barstool was also in a very different place at that time. Yeah, we sure. Big media company. Wasn't in New York yet. It was nope. just, Everyone yeah. was living in their own, uh, yeah. their own cities and everything. So I eventually in high school decided I'm going to start my own blog covering MMA and professional wrestling, which I'm super passionate about as well. And it was called the squared octagon, you know, the squared okay. circle. Okay. Yep. 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 Kind of squared a mouthful, octagon. but Good. you know, we were working out the kinks. Hey, and I, I still am, just bro. Said, <laughs> I'm, I'm almost, I'm 40 in two years. I'm still working it out. I kind of just said like, I'm going to work for Barstool one day. I know it. I told my mom, I told my sister, I told my brother, I'm going to work for Barstool. I know this for a fact. I was still sending them blogs throughout all of high school. And I was like, I'm going to start running this blog as if I were working for Barstool as their MMA guy. And I'm going to take it incredibly seriously. I remember the night of UFC 193 when Holly Holm beat Ronda. Uh, Bill Burr had a show at Madison square garden in the city. It was uh -huh. my favorite comedian ever. Yeah, I've never sure. seen him live. And, uh, my brother was like, dude, you got to go see Bill Burr tonight. Like, I'll get you a ticket. And I was like, dude, I got to cover the fights. And he was like, bro, nobody's reading the blog. Like, it's just like, you're running it for yourself. And I was like, bro, I got to cover the fights. And I was thankful I did. Like, I'm glad I didn't, you know, I right. saw that moment live, right. but I was so serious about it. So then as soon as I graduate high school, Barstool got the investment from Chernin, which moved the entire company to New York, 14 miles away from where I was. And I was like, this is amazing. This is the perfect opportunity. Um, I quit my job at the movie theater where I was working as a concessions guy uh -huh. and got a job as a graphic designer, quote unquote, at like a batting cage uh, bowling alley thing. I didn't really know what I was doing in graphic design. I just needed a job that would allow me to pick my own hours because I was like, I'm getting a Barstool internship. There's no way I'm not getting this. So I waited till they did all of their intern interviews. And then I emailed every blogger in the company that did not get an intern. And I said, I will work for free. I can come in this day, this day, and this day, whatever you need me to do. Got a response back from Riggs. That was, was right, because Riggs uh, also put on on Twitter too, the note yes. that you sent him. Yes, and he so, did. Yeah, right. He so replied. You... So I was like, listen, I'll do whatever you need me to do. I embellished my, I was like, I'm hosting a podcast that has 15,000 subscribers. Now I'm like, oh my God, 15,000 subscribers, little Raleigh Fox, you know, hold your, hold your horse, horses there. Um, but Riggs was covering golf, yep. uh, politics, and world news. And he, now he's very much like pretty much just golf. Riggs, the is, the golf, was, Riggs is the foreplay. Totally, Riggs is, yeah. This is what's cool about Barstool too. I, but 
you're like friends with Dana and McGregor, right? Big Cat and PFT are friends with everybody in sports. Uh, Portnoy is friends with like Tom Brady at the Kentucky Derby. And, and Riggs and is like that, hanging out yeah. with Tiger Woods. Like he goes it's, to a golf tournament, Tiger goes over and says hi to Riggs. I mean, it's, it's incredible. crazy. We all have these like fan moments. I think people appreciate that like we are fans. And for the most part, we're, we're never coming at athletes in the way that other people in the media come at them. Right. Looking for headlines, looking for controversial issues. For the most part, in Barstool, you do an interview with us, and we're going to have your back like for the rest yeah. of your career. We're yeah. like, you're our guy. You're our friend. We're going to keep up with you. We're going to ask how your family is. Like That's just like how we are. We're not general media people, and people will roll their eyes at that and be like, well, yeah, you're protecting people. But it's just, you know, that's it's a, a different way of covering it. Yeah, it sure is. But All right, so back I, to your – I, I got in with Riggs, and I, like I said, I didn't know anything about politics anything about world news anything about golf i had been on a golf course like once for nine holes in my life and instantly we were off and running as a, a duo me and Riggs, and like we launched foreplay which didn't exist when i got hired um in the process of that i kind of like weaseled my way in and i said you know i'm a big ufc fan you guys don't have anyone that writes about ufc there's nobody in the company that watches this stuff would you mind if i publish one blog a day just for the mma fans i think i would do a really good job with it and they were like you know what screw it i remember uh i remember going into dave's office for the first time i don't think i've ever told this story and showing him like the first uh sample blog i had written because he was like let me just see it before it goes up and it was so boring like looking back there i don't think there were any jokes it was about the rule changes that had happened to like the unified rule changes right. and just like me explaining them to the cat the casual fan which is it's a useful blog because it was like the three-point rule the right. knee rule which it Breaking it down into layman's terms for somebody, definitely useful. But I was like, that was the first show blog I ever showed Dave. Like, what in the world? Did he run it? And, oh, yeah, he did. He was like, screw it. We don't have, you know, anyone doing MMA. Run right. it and see what people think. And people kind of gravitated towards it. And people were like, some people were like, there's no way you're the guy that's going to be the voice of MMA. Look at you. But there were some people that kind of understood that I leaned into it. And the first video I ever made as an intern was uh, me and Caitlin Chukagian, who she had had, I think, like one UFC fight at the time, going over to Henzo Gracie's in the city. And we did like, I want to say four minutes. And let's see how many times she could submit me, submissions right. only. She submitted me like 19 times. And it's a funny video looking back. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's still up on YouTube and everything. If you type in like Fox versus Chukagian, you know, it's, it's uh -huh. on there. It's very funny. And then she head kicked me at the end. Nice. I was like, all right, we'll allow kicks. She head kicked me. And then we were kind of off running from there. Right. And from there, I paid for my own trip. I remember my first company trip. I was like, I'm going to pay out of pocket because if I go and it's a disaster, I don't want to be the kid that, you know, spent a bunch of the company's money and didn't do well. So I paid my own way to WrestleMania. It went really well content wise. I made a video that I remember. I got super kicked and Dave was like, that was amazing. And then I made a man on the street video where he called me a star. He's like, we got a star in the making. And I was like, this is everything I've ever wanted coming to fruition. I flew straight from WrestleMania to Augusta because I was still the four player intern. Yeah. So the first actual golf course I stepped foot on was Augusta National. That always pisses off the golf fans. Yeah, that and pisses me off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How and dare beautiful you? Course, beautiful course. Brian. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Way. Yeah. You should go there one day if you yeah, can make thanks. it out. Um, but on that trip, Dave took me out to dinner and he was like, I'm going to move you off foreplay and we're just going to let you be your own content person and do what you want from here. And since then, 
to his word, he's letting me do whatever I wanted. Now I do, you know, not just MMA stuff, but I have, you know, dove into uh, wrestling, uh, music, movies, right. stuff, everything that I'm passionate about. I now have, you know, the right of way to cover. I make videos, I make podcasts. It's been amazing. I'm going on four years. This week is actually, uh, it will be four years since I, I was hired as an intern. So this has kind of been like my whole college experience because yeah. I was in college at the time. I dropped out. You did? Uh, okay, I was going to ask. So did you go to college? community college. So you start at 18, right at 18, they give you an internship? Paid yeah. internship or no? No. First, yeah. uh, the first, I think, Good man. I, got I, I was in, October, in the days of yeah. I was in the and days I got of paid uh, in June was the first okay, time I saw money. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was, was in like, the days of um, you know, when you intern, you don't get paid. You get credits. Absolutely. At Barstool, yeah. I don't, you know, whatever. But uh, nowadays, there's so many paid internships. I think, like in some states, you can't even have interns unless you pay them. Oh, Barstool's is totally restructured. I think yeah. me, Glenny Balls, and Rhea were the last three like unpaid interns. It's probably a New York State the law books and they were like, we think this might have been illegal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Goodness gracious. So at 18, yeah, yeah so was, you dropped out of school. That was a just, mouthful, but is no, that was story. a mouthful, but that's exactly yeah. what I'm, I'm looking for in terms of like uh, understanding where you came from. It's funny. You mentioned the, uh, the fact that if you do an interview at Barstool with an athlete, you have their back. I worked in Boston for two years. I'm from Boston, moved all over the country, worked back in Boston for two years. And I didn't know, I didn't have any big market experience yet. I was 30 years old and I was traditional local media, right? Come on, you do the highlights and the scores um, on a local newscast. And so when I got back to Boston, I didn't really know what to do, but I was still like brought up on that, um, you know, like New York has it too, the talk show, the, the voice of the fan is let's bash the Yankees, let's bash the Red totally. Sox. The Patriots have won how many Super Bowls, but let's find a way to bash them so that people can call Still. in and get pissed off. And I look back on that job and I, and I was, you know, pretty down the line as like a journalist. I didn't just like come out and bash people. I was still more like the highlight guy. But looking back, if I'm like, I'm like, if I ever had that job again, like I'm, I, I kind of shake my head. I'm like, if I did that job again, I would do what you guys do. I would have the athletes back and I would, and I would pick media feuds, right? Ooh. I would, I would feud with yes, all the media yeah. that's calling that's them out and be like, do we like this team or not? Like if we're Patriots yeah. fans here, like, do we like this team? Cool. Then why are we second guessing Tom Brady's body coach? You know, and I would just start picking off the media and then that's a whole different avenue of how, like you said, a how to cover sports. is so genuine too, right? Because like, right. maybe you that are gets fans. feed into people's head in journalist school, like this is the way to cover things. None of us ever went to journalist school. No, like we're no. not, you know, we're But none of the rules apply anymore. Things. You know? And like you said, yeah, we're just fans. So right. when I interview UFC fighters, especially me, I mean, I can't speak for everyone else in the company, but when I interview UFC fighters, I'm always like, I get chills talking yeah. to them I'm, when I'm like, uh, oh my God, tell me about this fight. I just interviewed Forrest Griffin. And nice. when I was like, dude, tell me about the first time you won the UFC championship. That's like, it gives me chills to be able to just talk to him. Right. And I'm like, that's the craziest thing. He was on the cover of UFC Undisputed 09 when I was first getting into the sport and learning all the fighters through the video game and, you know, beating grown men. And then they would rage quit on Xbox Live and I would talk trash to him. Like, those are the memories that like make me so ecstatic about the sport still. So I'm like, still, I feel privilege to be there yeah. when I get to go to UFCs and when I get to interview Dana. So uh, yeah, you're not going to get me going to Dana and being like, tell me about fighter pay. And yeah, tell right. me about this. Right. And the percentages. That That's not my job. Brett Akimoto, John Morgan. There's so many great journalists that can do that. And that's legitimately their job. They're to uphold, you know, 
journalistic standards and, uh, you know, speak on behalf of athletes. I'm here to speak on behalf of the fan. And yeah. that doesn't involve pissing off anyone. My yeah. interviews are very comfortable. I always try yeah. to make, I'm none of my interviews are confrontational, like across MMA music. I'm always just trying to have conversations about the stuff I love. Yeah. Cause like the rules of journalism are just out the window. Look at any news channel. All they do is they get two people that disagree and, and they just argue. I did the opinion thing like one time at ESPNU, they gave me the right to like make picks, even though I was the host and not the analyst. They're like, you can pick the games for this show. And I was like, okay. And uh, like Houston football, I just bashed them. I was just like, Houston's just <laughs> another team. I was like, their coach is going to leave for a better team. They're just going to be another non whatever. And then it was my first time on Twitter, like getting like a lot of hate from a fan base, like what the hell, you know? And I was just like, yeah. Oh, I don't, I was like, that, that felt slimy. I don't like that. Not to like mention I've always called BS on fill in the media member who's calling out the skip Bayless calling out a quarterback. So it's like, dude, you ever played quarterback or did you just sit in the press box for literally the last 30 years? Not yeah, doing and it. And again, it's like, it's tough for me sometimes because with Barstool, I have to ride the comedic line. Like I do have yes. to make things funny and I'm always yes. trying to make MMA funny. And sometimes it's hard to make knockouts funny without being like, let me make sure I don't really offend this person. Right, right, right. Again, I have arms now for those listening and not watching. I, my arms look like uh, pipe cleaners. So <laughs> when I'm the one saying like, oh, you got knocked out, it's, it's sometimes laughable. Right. But I try to lean into that. And now, now I'm a meme. I don't know if you've seen me on Instagram, but there's keyboard warrior memes of I, I have like headgear on and gloves and I'm just typing at a computer. <laughs> it's one of my proudest accomplishments. Right. As long as you lean some, into most, most of the people posting it don't know it's me. And that's it's, I'm always like, it's good that you learn to it. lean into things like that early because the defensive thing, then it's like blood in the water. The sharks will circle yeah. like people making fun of me for sitting under a win. table. I'm just like, yeah, bro, <laughs> sat under a table. Like, that was one of my favorite things. Yeah, I love like, you sitting under the table. <laughs> so, uh, so you're at Barstool. I have a, um, I have a specific memory of when um, I listened to Pardon My Take um, and still one of the best podcasts ever. I just don't have a lot of time to listen to it as much as I used to. But I remember before UFC 217, which was Bisping St. Pierre, yeah, uh, that was 2017. So you would have already been at Barstool, probably still an intern right then, right? Three years uh, ago. No, I, I, I was full time, but you were full time by a, full -time a few months. Yeah. So did this happen? Uh, Big Cat and PFT had Dana on the show, right? And they were just talking to Dana. They were making fun of him that Dana sounds like a girl's name and whatever. And then was it you who came in? They're like, we have somebody else. They want to ask you questions. And it was you, right? It must have yeah. been. I put it together. I didn't remember in the moment, but I remembered you came on and you were like, okay, the co-main event, TJ and Cody, that has the most bad blood to it, right? That was you asking those yes. questions. And then yes. they were, they were kind of so like, funny. You remember they, that? That's they were like, who like, is this? They were like, who is this kid? This guy knows his stuff. That must've been your first interaction with Dana. My very first interaction. Exactly. So that was really awesome. That was shout out to big cat and PFT always genuinely looking to help the younger people at Barstool. Like that's something that you can ask every, every person that came in around my time, even afterwards, if you go to them for help, they will help you. And that was one of those things where they had been chasing Dana down for a while in the world. So he was just, you know, a, a promoting it to New York. Them. Right. Exactly. And they were promoting it. It was the Dakota hotel. I think we were at, which okay. I think is where John Lennon oh, was shot. You went um, to Dana's hotel room. We, yeah, well, we went to like a, a ballroom almost. Oh, got it. And okay. I remember, I remember we showed up and someone, we were super early. I think Dana was stuck in traffic or something and they big hit. So 
weekend PFT basically just said to me, we got Dana. Would you like to come along and ask some actual UFC questions? And of course I was like, you know, you tell me where to be and I'll be there. So we show up and I remember someone from the hotel calling one of Dana's people and being like, does he like ice in his water or no ice in his water? We'll have it ready for him. And just being like, what a baller this Dana White is, you know, he, they're, they're calling to make sure he wants ice in his water before he gets here. Oh my God. So Dana arrived and yeah, I asked, I think three questions, either three or four questions. And the bit of it was basically like, Big Cat and PFT, the way they interview is generally like, you know, joking. Yeah, it's goofy. And, right, and exactly. General career stuff. So yeah. they were trying to market UFC 217 specifically. So I was asking those questions. And yeah, I got to ask like a few questions that uh, I guess he took a liking to and he kind of realized, oh, you're a UFC fan. And I met Lene at that point. Yep. She was there, who is the UFC head of uh, PR communications and all that. And she gave me her card and was like, hey, if you ever you know, want to do something, give me a call. And that was the beginning of that relationship. And that's where all the Dana stuff has really started because now years later, when I started my own podcast called my mom's basement, again, leaning into, yes, I should have, I should have plugged that at the top. I I apologize. Um, No, don't worry about it. Um, I was supposed to have, this is crazy, but Motley Crue just came along. They were promoting the dirt at the time, a band that I grew up on. They're like one of the three bands. It was like Motley Crue, Kiss and Guns N' Roses for me. Um, and I'm a bass player because of Nikki six. So they came along and they were like, Hey, we might be doing interviews for the dirt. Like, would you be interested? I did not have a podcast. And I was like, yes, I'm making a podcast. I'm going to have a podcast going forward just because I want to do this interview. Yeah. So I did everything. And then they dropped out at the last minute. And I was like, Oh my God, what do I do? I announced the podcast. We have the podcast now. And I was like, I still have Lene's number. Let me see if I could call in a favor. I called Lene. I was like, is there any way I could get Dana for 10 minutes? I was like, that would be, it would make my world if you give me Dana for 10 minutes. She was like, no problem. We'll give you 20. And from that interview was a phoner immediately went really well. I kind of gave Dana pushback. Um, it was around the time where he was saying that Connor versus Cowboy should be a co-main event. Right. Right. And I was like, Dana, Dana, no, in yeah. no world should Connor be the co-main event. And he was like, what if I put the heavyweight title fight on? I said, I don't care. Put Connor in the main That's event. That's right. Anyway. I remember him. Too. Yeah, I remember that. And uh, he kind of liked it. Like, I think he, because I didn't do it in a disrespectful way by yeah. any stretch of the imagination. I was kind of just like voicing my opinion towards him. And he liked that I pushed back. I think he liked that I kind of like did uh, trash some of the other media members. Looking back, I, I gave Helwani some shit that I was like, all right, I could have let him off a little easier. Um, but from there, the relationship has just each time that I've interviewed him gotten a little more friendly each time. Like I yeah. will intertwine like a rage against the machine question or two. And then I'll work in, Hey, I would love to see your office one day. And then it just has become what it's become. It's like the most organic thing. People think, uh, you know, it's such a contrived, like I'm the one who speaks for Dana. I'm his right, PR guy. Right, right, right. It's the most natural thing in the world. But it is, like I said at the top, like, UFC fan you with as much influence the most influence as any other fan you talk to Dana regularly and you are going to interview him like a fan would talk to him I do try to ask like I'll usually tweet out before I even talk to him be like what do you guys want to know and I'll usually try to get the ones that have the most favorites like I'll always try to work in people will comment in my YouTube videos, like the 20 minute interviews, I'll ask him 40 questions. I'm like, yeah, right, right, boom, right. boom, 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 boom. And right. I cut him off sometimes. That's like my main uh, interviewing flaws. I'll cut off 
the interviewee because I'm just trying to like get to the next thing. I'm so excited. I'm so passionate, but I'm working on it guys. I promise. <laughs> so it's funny. Um, the UFC 217 lead up and the interaction with Dana, the biggest reason why I was listening to that episode specifically, I saw pardon my take had Dana on and I was like, I had to listen because I had just called contender series first season and I had not, I had not called it. I was still like new in the sport. I hadn't yeah. called my first UFC show yet. And I, um, they gave me the option to like shadow, you know, John Anik, basically, I mean, shadow is a loose term, but basically like, do you want to come to an event? You're calling the event in Fresno. And they gave, they were like, you can come to Norfolk, Virginia, or you could do the ultimate fighter finale and observe that. Or you could come to UFC 217 in New York. Right. And I'm just like, if there's an extra room, uh, I'll come to New York, you know, yeah. like you're going to put me up in that Midtown Manhattan so at the Stewart Hotel. Right. GSP's return. Yeah. So that was the, I watched the most of the main card in the truck, but I, the prelims were great too. I remember James Vick had a knockout. Walt Harris yeah. fought on that one. Uh, like, yeah. That was and, Paulo uh, Costa, Johnny Hendricks. Yep. Paulo Mickey Costa Gall had a fight on that. OS, Mickey Gall fought Randy Brown. OSP. I've, I've said this on a pod on, I think my podcast, OSP head kicked Corey Anderson and I was sitting yes. right behind Anik. And all of a sudden there was this big body moving in front of me. And then all of a sudden he was back on the mat, just lifeless. And I was like, that was my baptism to MMA for real, you know, because that's and the first time I'd watch from that. Until you go close. live. It's, it's a different Dude. feel when you don't have the commentary, when you hear the thud of the mat when yeah. someone goes unconscious, yeah. man, it's scary. I was at the uh, Cormier-Stipe fight and the, uh, the um, Junior Dos Santos knockout right before mm -hmm. the co-main event mm -hmm. happened right in front of me. And it was just like, there's the, we had, we put up the video. I was just like cringing and like holding yeah. myself back. It was like, oh, 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 please stop it. <laughs> Especially those big bodies like that, because they just like heavyweights or like Corey shakes. Anderson is a big dude. He's on fight night. He's 225 at least. Yeah. Right. And then, uh, yeah. And I was up close enough since, uh, with where I was that I was looking up at it and I saw, I didn't even see OSP kick him. I just saw the sweat in the lights. That is something that is like worth. That's why those seats are so expensive. It slows when down. you're watching from down and you look up and then this, a big shot comes in the sweat sprinkles in the lights. It looks like and a then rocky that guy movie. Just goes, it's like, yeah, it does. It looks like it's like lights, camera, action. And so that was yeah. my, uh, because the contender series, we don't call next to the octagon because yeah, I saw our voices would be too loud. Around. Yeah. Like we're up top and it's changed several times over the years, but we've never called that show from the octagon. So I still hadn't even seen like way up close the fights. And now it's, uh, now it's my office, which is also ridiculous in the same way that your job is ridiculous we're doing all right and that's for the ourselves. best every time like my yeah. favorite thing every time i cover an event actually sitting on press row and being that close yeah i don't take that for granted for a second i take a picture of every time like they put a little nameplate on your table yep, yep, yep. I, have, I have a picture on my phone of every single time they've written robbie fox barstool sports like yeah coolest stuff in the entire yeah, world it's awesome i got my friend a vip seat last uh fall in tampa and it said his name on the seat i got him one of those good seats and he took the card you know? Oh yeah. And then I, I text I have, him. Well, I can't show it to you. It's right. on the back of my laptop, but the one from, uh, Connor Cowboy, I okay, of course yeah. put that on the back of my laptop. Right, I was right. like, I'll have that forever. Yeah. And he's, so he still had the card and he took it. And then I sent him a picture from Connor Cowboy. I was sitting in the front row, like for the early prelims, like I had to um, be up top for the main card, but, um, Tom Brady's seats didn't say Tom Brady. They just said TB. 
So I took a picture of it, right? Like a G, just five seats right in the so middle. Awesome, and uh, I took a picture of it and I sent it to my friend. He's just like, do you think he'll take the card tonight? Like I did. I said, no, I think he's going to leave. I think he's good with that. Yeah. Um, I remember when he came into Dana had that old time tweet. He was like, the goats are loose in, in Vegas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Right. That was, uh, that was something else. So when did you become, so you were just a UFC fan from yeah. like when you were a kid. Sort of. I, I came into the sport as a fan when Brock Lesnar did. I was a okay. wrestling fan since wrestler the, crossover, the, the day right. I was born. Don't remember a time without wrestling in my life, really. So as soon as he came over, I was like, oh, my God, what are you talking about? Brock Lesnar's going to fight for real. Right. Like We're right. going to see him really fight. Yeah. And uh, I remember we had like a big party at my brother's. He, he was like renting my grandma's house just a few houses down. And when he got tapped out, actually, he's rooting for him, of course, as a wrestling fan, especially because uh, at the time, you know, I was hearing so much from my friends I was so young of wrestling's fake. He's going to yeah. get his ass kicked. And I was like, no way. Brock Lesnar's the champ. He's going to be great. So he starts pummeling me and I'm like, this is awesome. I mean, he's amazing. And then he gets tapped out right away. And I was like, oh, there's more to this. Okay. Right. Right. And that hooked me immediately. That was like, oh, okay. And yeah. I, I kept following Lesnar through the years. I would kind of come in and out. I had a few fighters that I really would like gravitate towards. It was Lesnar, Forrest Griffin, Rampage Jackson, Joe Lozon was like yeah. uh, a, a tiny guy who I loved. I still to this day. You should get him say, on. Have you talked to him? Have you got him on the show? I never have. I've talked to him uh, like personally. I've never yeah. talked to him on a podcast. Okay. Yeah. I would still say to this Great day, guy. he's a top three favorite fighter of all time for me. That's cool. And yeah. I always root for the New England cartel because that's like, you know, that's Joe, Joe's part of that lineage basically yeah, yeah. um so I, I would come in and out and then really i would say a couple years before connor came over is when i started getting really really into it and then as soon as i got into high school it was like this this is my sport this is right. like what I'm, I'm passionate about and connor was a, a huge factor in that because he's the pro wrestler in the ufc world yeah you know, what was it? ali so, took all his stuff from classy yeah, freddie blassie yeah. and connor took all his stuff from muhammad ali so like when, when Connor comes in, you're like, this is my guy. Oh yeah. Imme I mean, immediately when he got signed. So I didn't know, I didn't know who he was before he actually did get signed, yeah. but leading up to his debut, I kind of educated myself on him and I started watching interviews with him and it was the cockiness. I mean, he was talking like, I'm such a huge Oasis fan. He, he talked like the Gallagher brothers, like he just, he's so funny. He's so yeah. witty immediately. He was my guy. So following that rise like i wish i wish all the time i got to cover his rise with Barstool. i was gonna say yeah yeah because that was like i missed out on it and then the fights that i got to cover first were mayweather and then khabib and it was just like everyone was like your guy sucks everyone in the office dave is like connor sucks he's never coming back big caddy sucks so that the cowboy thing was people were like your reaction didn't make any sense he beat cowboy of course he beat cowboy i was like you don't understand that was that was I was so relieved that I wasn't going to have to take it from Dave and Big Cat on the rundown for the third year yeah. in a row. <laughs> what was that? I mean, that was his first MMA win in yeah. what, like three years? Or was yeah. it even more? Was it four Since years? Eddie. Since, Since Eddie. So it's four years, crazy. right? Yeah. And I was working at Barstool during that uh, Eddie fight, but I was an intern. Yeah, and that I, like, just started, right? Nobody, I didn't even like, nobody knew my name at the time. I hadn't even been writing about MMA. I remember I, I bet on him uh, with like my now brother-in-law and we went out with my sister to watch the fight at like a restaurant bar and we were just elated when he won. We were going crazy yeah. and everyone in the bar was looking at us like we were crazy. But I wanted to be in the celebration so bad. Like yeah. outside MSG watching the videos on Twitter of the 
Irish people going crazy like they do every time. And that's I probably want, still. I wanted that so bad. Yeah. And then when I got it for Cowboy, that was like, it was awesome. I mean, Diaz fights aside and then the, the knockout of Aldo. It's like you go back and watch what he did to Eddie. And that's, and then like the two belts and then the interview afterwards. Like that's, that gets lost as like, I, I don't know. You it's could incredible. say that's his you signature moment. You it. could say yeah. like, like what is Connor and he's done all these other crazy things, but you could say that one against Eddie is as perfect as you can get. Like showed he enough too good. Right. Like, he looks you know? so good that people were like, Oh, it was just Eddie. It's like, no, Eddie had just beat RDA and he was, I mean, Eddie is one of the best wrestlers that the division's ever seen. Yeah. And Connor wouldn't let him wrestle. Yeah. It's tricky too. Cause there's a lot of people obviously that keep getting on board, especially since we've come to ESPN and it's really tough to like, even explain why Connor now like once and I missed it too because I didn't get into the sport in 2017 like I had seen the crossover fights I was one of those people that watched but I was always covering other sports I was working at ESPN or other places and so your Saturdays are dominated by football and all these other sports that you have to cover but looking back on it now and you like look at his Wikipedia record you're just like all these first round knockouts in a row when he said he would knock them out with the press conference performances leading up to it to do that it's like that's why he's so big it's i mean and they were so, but it's tough to explain that to people span of time like the the time span it was like it, two it was so three short. years i mean yeah and, and i still feel like as a connor fan and i've heard i think dave fogarty who's connor's photographer has said this before i think coach cavanaugh might have said it um the mendez fight is like still yeah that was connor that was his like he has arrived moment because it was always, can he face a wrestler right before the, he had Dennis Seaver. People said the UFC very much, you know, helped him out with that right. matchup. So it was like, there were still questions about him still to that moment. And then he gets taken down and kind of worked for the first two rounds and for him to get up and knock out Chad the way he did. That was like the craziest. I remember waking my mom up. She was sleeping and I was just going so crazy in the living room. She came <laughs> out like, what is going on? I was like, he did it. He won. And that was like, that was that was probably still other than the cowboy moment which i get to experience in person yes, right my favorite like connor moment the watching Mendes one yeah. yeah and what's crazy too is when you look back at the odds i don't have them offhand but i just remember like he was an underdog to aldo oh, yeah. i don't know what he was against mendez but it was close like you could have made so much money on connor oh, yeah. but because like he just kept winning but the price wasn't crazy you know what i mean like now yeah. he fights cowboys like minus 400 or something like that and and I got him at minus get... 360. I still haven't cashed the ticket. I should send it to you to cash it. You could send it to me. You can mail it to them, <laughs> but actually I'm not really going into casinos these days. Yeah, you can I mail it ma- to them. I'm going to mail it to them at some point. Registered I keep, mail. I keep forgetting, dude. I used to work at a sports book, so I just read, they're like, can I mail this in? It's like, yeah, registered mail. Send it and in. And they'll send me cash or they'll send me like I a check? I think they'll send you a check. I think they'll cut All me right, like fair a check. Enough. I, I bet like 300 to win 100. Yeah. So I got like $400 just in limbo right now. Thanks Dude, a lot, Connor. Get that, I appreciate it. Cha-ching. Get that C note. When did you have um, your first interaction with him? So it was outside the courthouse. It's like in the video that is out there. It's my most popular video by far. Still yeah. one that people like come up to me the most about. I think it's got over a million views. on. The when course, did you decide? Let me, yeah, let me stop you before you get too deep into it. When did you decide? What, what was the thinking behind like, I'm going to make some content off of this like this is gonna do what like how did you think like going into that <laughs> so yeah like was, how what was your thoughts going into planning it, that? like i would like to take credit for it as an original idea but i look at it as like almost a ripoff of the brady four stuff like when tom brady got uh suspended four games yep. 
Dave, Hank, Feidelberg, and Gaz, four original Boston guys in Barstool, went to NFL headquarters. This is when Barstool was not in New York. So they like took the train down to New York from Boston and with picket signs and uh, they did, the they were paint. all wearing face paint, <laughs> Tom Brady jerseys. Yeah. Um, and they did like a sit in. They handcuffed each other, uh, to, like the handcuffs like to themselves. And in the NFL lobby, sat in and were like, we're not leaving until uh, Goodell meets with us like tom brady you know it's been an injustice so i've always kind of been trying to like do stuff that i'm a barstool fan so stuff that i liked about barstool and as soon as i heard connor's court case was in new york over that and like it was doable i was like oh that's a no-brainer it's like i'm protesting that and i remember uh i was making like the signs the night before the free connor the the champ champ does what the fook he wants um on these big cardboard signs the night before in the office with those thick sharpies it smelled horrible it smelled like fumes in the office because i was writing so much sharpie and big cat just came in because they record pmt so late and he was just like what are you doing and i was like we're fucking going to court tomorrow dude we've got a protest and he's like all right if you say so woke up early the next morning got my tricolor on um and just went out there and the best part was I didn't expect as much media to be there as there really was, but there, I mean, there was tons. I should have expected it. It's Conor McGregor, but I was just like, I don't know. It's a court. I don't know if he'll be outside. I don't know what the situation will be like. I kind of wanted it for the picture more than anything. A picture of me with the signs outside the courthouse for Twitter. I was like, that'll, you know, do numbers. People will think that's very funny. And then I showed up and media were everywhere. And I was the only Conor McGregor fan or MMA fan there. It was just me and a bunch of journalists and news crews. So they all like kind of gravitated towards me because while Conor was in there, there was nothing else to do. And I just started screaming my head off. I was like, you know, the bus driver acts for the dolly. I think all chargers should be dropped and put onto the bus driver. I said it was CGI'd. I said, nobody's seen the real angle. I said, you know, it's a conspiracy. It's a U.S. Uh, injustice against an Irish citizen. I was saying everything under the sun you could think of just to get these people to like start you know paying attention to me for the video and they started writing like taking notes i was quoted in bbc saying like one mcgregor fan says that (laughs) chargers should be put onto the bus driver uh no sources indicate that he did ask for the dolly but they were taking it like so seriously and i was screaming at connor when he came out of the courthouse you know you got him champ don't take any shit champ don't settle and as soon as he comes out comes out drives away i figure okay that was a great video that was a lot better than we thought we were gonna get his lawyer walks out and he says he said something like you got the flakes or something weird i didn't even understand what he was talking about and i was like what like does he offer me drugs exactly that's like we're in brooklyn i was right yeah that's exactly (laughs) so i was like let's just follow him let's see like we're gonna regret this if we don't follow him so I was like, we have a, I have a camera. Like if he's going to murder but me. But it was now, your instinct you know. to follow him. You didn't, he didn't say come it, with us. He just said, you got the well, flakes. Well, I think he, I think he might've said like, come with us. Right. And okay. I was like, what? And I was like, what? And he's like, but it was, it was being very, very vague, very vague, and very right. weird about it. Okay. It was just like, what is going on? All right, whatever. So I said to my cameraman, let's follow him. Let's see what's going on. Like the worst case scenario, it's mm-hmm. nothing. And he's a wacky dude. And we'll put that in the video as we got duped by a wacky dude. And he takes us to a bail bonds place. And immediately we start like putting two and two together. And I remember going on Twitter and like quickly being like, what did Conor McGregor's lawyer look like? And then looking up and being like, oh, that's him. And being like, oh my God. And then a bunch of Escalades rolled up. And I was like, oh, here we go. And you could see like, I I give the camera a look. I like make sure my hand's not sweating. Uh And I was trying to be super respectful. I was just like, 
champ. It's an honor to finally meet you. Cause I think I'd been tweeting him a thousand times before yeah. then he had, like liked my stuff before that or something. And, uh, we shook hands. He went inside. I waited for him to come out. And then I said, would you mind taking a picture? And I have one regret about it. I wish I would have just taken a selfie. I gave my phone to Dave Fogarty and I've heard in interviews afterwards, Dave being like, it's my least favorite thing people do. And I'm like, Oh man, but we're friends now. So he's oh, like, McGregor, oh, fine. oh, saying like, do you want a picture? Give your McGregor said that McGregor. No, McGregor's photographer. It's like, people oh, always oh, just oh, give oh, me oh. their phone. Like I'm like their photographer. Oh, right, too. right, right, and right. I did right. the same thing, but I was so just in, in my own head of, Oh my God, it's McGregor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we got the picture. And then I think afterwards he followed me on Twitter and coach Kavanaugh had interacted with me a few times before mm-hmm. that. Um, but those videos really took off. And then there was a second court date that I also went to with a megaphone that time. So I was like, I wasn't loud. The first enough. one wasn't the megaphone. First one. Oh, was not okay. The I mean, I've watched, I'm sure I've seen the, I definitely saw you take the picture with them and the, yeah. And all that stuff. But I thought the megaphone was one in the same. So you no, did a so, second one. So the second time I was like, we got to be louder this time. How do we outdo the last one? Let's bring a megaphone. And that time I got detained by the police because they said That's I was right. making yep. unreasonable noise. They gave me a summons. And just yesterday was the anniversary of that court date being dismissed, thrown out the window. I had to go to court, dressed up. And I remember they, he, and the guy stepped up and my thing just said unreasonable noise, um, protesting a, a court date. Yeah. And he said, well, he, judge was like, Robert Fox to the stand, whatever. I, stepped up he was like what were you protesting i said it was a conor mcgregor court date your honor and he was just like dismissed (laughs) (laughs) of all the things in new york city to call inappropriate noise somebody speaking in a megaphone uh, in the middle of the day it's about as to tame be fair, as it gets. You know, I don't want to be, I, it was my fault. The cop was like, listen, I can't. They have warned you. you. Then he was like, the yeah. next time you do it, I'm going to have to do it. And then I just did it again. You just did I it was again. Just, I, I think I said, I forgot. So I was, I was the asshole there. I don't want to paint the NYPD in that light, but <laughs> that definitely, come on, man. Unreasonable noise. It's not even a real charge. What was it like for you to do that? Because it's not like... You didn't sign up to be this shock jock kind of guy. No, no. But what was um, it like for you to be on camera and be like, we're going to cause in the face of police and all these media and you're, you're the, the rebel. It was super nerve wracking before both of them. I texted like a few people telling them what I was going to do in the company and saying, no matter what worst case scenario, get it on the blog. If I get arrested, get it on the blog. That'll be yeah. great content. If I get whatever, get it on the blog. And I think Trent was my go-to. I texted Dave and Erica, just my bosses both times to let them know like, hey, if I get in any legal trouble, they should probably be aware. They should have the heads up. But like when, I remember when the cop told me like the next time you do it, you're in trouble. I remember looking at my cameraman being like, all right, we're going to have to do this because it's going to make for a hysterical video. Right. But I might get arrested. And my heart started like really pounding because I was like, I don't know. Is he going to arrest me? He might. Like he told me I'm going to get in trouble. I don't know what the police are going to do. So I texted my mom and I was like, hey, mom, love you. I'm going to do a stupid thing for work. Worst case scenario, I get arrested. It will not be a big deal. They've got, Dave's got me. And she was just, I think she sent back great content. She's a saint. She's like, at this point, she's like, all right. And yeah, it was nerve wracking. The most nerve wracking like stuff I've done has been like that kind of stuff where you're on camera doing something where it's like you have one shot. The wrestling video I made where I got super kicked at a wrestling show. For those that haven't seen it, I went to a wrestling show that had like 1,300 people at it. It was WrestleMania weekend in Orlando. It was an indie wrestling show. And we did a, a bit where basically I was acting as a fan. I was just in the crowd the whole, whole show in the front row. And then a wrestler was going to come over and say, hey, kid, 
get up here, hold this guy for me. And I was going to hold a, a guy back, kind of restrain him. And then at the last minute, he was going to move right as the hero went to kick him. He was going to kick me. The most nerve wracking thing I've ever done because there were 1300 people. It's like, you get one shot. It's wrestling is, you know, yeah. scripted. It's not right. real. <laughs> um, so it's like, we have to do this. We did not rehearse it. And I just kept telling him, I was like, bro, lay it in worst case scenario. You actually kick me. I was like, don't whiff. That's the worst thing you could do. And we nailed it. We got it. But right before we did it, I felt like I was going to throw up Brendan. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, that's crazy. Um, then you to continue on the McGregor thing. Yes. He takes Sorry, obviously. Well, that's okay. I'm here for the good stories, bro. You got like a thousand of them considering you're 22. I mean, geez. And um, so then Connor obviously takes a break or you covered him, you know, May Mac, that was 2017. And then yep. when did he fight Habib? 2018, right? October, yeah, 2018. Like a, it's like a year ago uh, yeah. around this time. Yeah. Two years ago. So when you covered, that's when I met you, right? You're out in yeah. Las Vegas at that yep. press conference. One of the pressers. Yeah. With Dana B who's uh. Yeah. Mr. Zillion beers. That guy takes off like crazy from the same town. I know. I love it. And, um, but that one was where Connor picked you out in the crowd. Yeah. What was that like? The craziest thing that's ever happened because at that point we had that one interaction. He did follow me, but Connor follows a bunch of his fans. If you look at like the people he follows on Twitter and Instagram, it's mostly like McGregor fan accounts. He very much appreciates his fans and all that. Um, but that was really crazy because on the plane ride over, uh, I remember buying Wi-Fi like halfway through the flight and I had a DM waiting for me from Auditar, Connor's manager. Now, I, I like it didn't say what it was. It just said like direct message Auditar. And I was like, oh my God, what's going on right now? Like this, I knew who he was obviously. So I opened it up and he said, Connor would like to give you a ticket to the fight. Uh, are you going to be in Vegas for it? And I was like, are you kidding me? Yes. Like, absolutely. He's like, Connor really appreciates the support. Um, whatever, like so-and-so we'll get, so you didn't have a ticket or a press pass or whatever. I had a press pass. I was going to cover it. Right. Okay. I, I did, but you were going to be in I the had, overflow. You wouldn't have been in the arena. Correct. Yeah, I don't think I was going to be in the arena. Yes. Yeah. Um, and especially at the time, like I, I had never interviewed Dana at that point. So right. I, my like status was much lower. Um, well, when you to, to fill status, in, quote unquote. to fill people in, like, Press row is like three rows of tables yep. and max is like, I don't know, 40 people, something like that. 25 if, to 40 if, if people. That even. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then the rest of the press sits in a tent next to the yep. arena and then they bring all the winners in and that's where they do the press conferences. You can cover an event without seeing it 10 feet away, but Absolutely. you've got to be on that high list of media to take up one of those seats. Cause obviously there's hundreds of media there that want to cover it. Okay. So continue. And, so and you for didn't, Barstool and right. for us, like being in the arena is huge because you want the, you want the big fan reaction. You yes, want that. Right. Ah, that's like Barstool, you know, that's, yeah, to that's roll us. tape, so, not to violate any rules, right? Totally. Not to like shoot the thing, but to roll tape of you guys. Of us. Yeah. yeah camera yeah, on us, camera right. on other people in the crowd and right. just, just sort of be in that, in the mix when yeah. whatever happens, happens. Now we know what happened in hindsight. Yeah. It was, I was like, let's get out of the mix when that's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. off. But um, he hit me up and said, we'll, we'll get you tickets to fight. Now I'm like, I mean, talk about through the roof. 
my favorite fighter who I've supported through high school. Like I told you about, I was so rabid about him in that lead up with Aldo. I went to high school with a ton of Brazilian kids. I remember we were in the rivalry. So it was just like, this is like, it felt full circle, felt dream come true is happening. And then the week of, I was getting a ton of death threats for real death threats uh, from, from Russian fans. Yeah. Yes. Who were just like, not into the, the barstool shtick. And to their credit, I probably went over the line a few times, not realizing I was stepping over the line, just trying to make funny content. I'm always trying to make funny content. That's always my goal. I'm not trying to offend whatever. Um, But I was getting death threats, so I was kind of like, oh, my God, this is the most surreal but also scary weekend. I was wearing a face mask like I was in like a corona time as disguise. I was like, I don't want anyone to see me. So I was wearing the like corona face mask around Vegas. But I met you. Just up and down uh, the street? Yeah. (laughs) Because because me and Dana were walking, and then we would get tweets from random accounts that would say, like, they were tagging, like, Ali Abdelaziz, and they would be, like, they're at Caesar's Palace, like, and someone what? said, like, uh, Robbie is traveling with a Muslim to make him, like, blend in with us, and Dana's like, oh, I'm Italian, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my um, goodness. It was, it was crazy. Yeah, like, yeah. Like crazy, and to the point where I'm like, I kind of hope McGregor never fights Khabib again, just so I don't have to deal with it. Yeah, right. Um, uh, you know, don't Lord, don't let me go back to the old me, as they say. Um, but I met you at that like press conference, yep. and then Connor had the open workout, and I kept doing the thing where I would show up and get my media badge in like media clothes and then i would put on my green jumpsuit afterwards <laughs> yeah, yeah. i didn't know if they would give it to me in that i uh-huh. feel like at this point they probably would because they yeah there's i mean thing or whatever mma media is a pretty casual group a lot of cargo shorts right. yes a lot of well cargo it's like shorts. even for me it's like not like i'll go to meetings and you know we'll have meetings with fighters or this meeting and that meeting and it's like we're a professional company and stuff but like we're allowed to wear what dana wears I mean, totally. jeans, and jeans, t-shirt. I, I mean, it comes from the head down. I love and that I, about like UFC. You go to events yeah, and what like, I love the workers about workers do wear what Dana wears. Right. I mean, it's like, I mean, you can dress up. Obviously we have to dress up on TV, but <clears throat> in large part, it's just like, we are not there to take ourselves too seriously. And we don't demand the media shows up in full suits. Like it's just yeah. not, it's different in that way. We're kind of the bar stool of sports in terms of like completely how the NFL I've, basketball, I've that all that. I'm just like now, like even in terms of the way that the UFC's embraced barstool in in, uh uh, you know compared to other sports leagues compared to nfl mlb all these the only comparable one is nascar like ufc and nascar are the two that have been like yes let's do everything this is the perfect like they understand that our audiences are the same the same guys exactly right same guys and girls um but i wore that green jumpsuit basically with the intention of like if there's a chance connor recognizes me he's going to need to see me in something bright i'm going to need to stand out from the pack that would be amazing so he came out said hi to all the fans and he picked up Connor Jr. And as he's walking off the stage, he just pointed right to me and he was like, Robbie, what's up, brother? I'll be right back. And he like walked off and like my cat, my, it's the craziest number wise uh, tweet I've ever put up. Is it my face? It's like, I was just stunned. I, he, he said, Robbie. And I couldn't believe it. Like it's good enough. If he recognized me, he's like, Oh, it's that kid. But it yes. was like, Hey Robbie, what's up? And I was like, oh, my God. And I turned to the guy. I was like, can you believe he just said Robbie? He said Robbie. I remember seeing that. Your reaction is perfect. It's almost like it was scripted in terms of how good Dana did with the camera because he's up on Connor. And he's like, like, hey, Robbie, what's up? And then all of a sudden he's like to you. It's like if you watch The Office, like the perfect cutaway. And if you watch it back, there's a legitimate double take. 
he says, Hey Robbie, what's up? And there's a second where he goes back because Dana was just like, I did not hear what I just, I think I just heard. Uh-huh. And in the immediate aftermath, you know, we didn't know he didn't have headphones. We didn't know if the camera picked that up. Right. So loud in the room, yeah. they got music and we were praying. Like we, we jetted back to that hotel. We were like, we have to watch this footage. We have to watch this footage. If they pick, cause we were like, if, if the video is counterpointing to me, it's cool. It's very cool. Yes. No doubt. If it, Robbie, what's up, brother? It's an all-time video. It's like the coolest video I ever have to my name that I'll show my kids and grandkids someday. So we went back to the hotel. Sure enough, you could hear him clear as day, say, Robbie, what's up? Put the video up. And that was like that was like the start of everything taking off for me UFC wise. That was I got so many new followers from that. The the Khabib fight in general was just like I think that launched me into a lot of eyes of people uh, from the MMA world that weren't necessarily Barstool fans before. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just, your reaction, you just go, I mean, he just said, Robbie, what's up? It was (laughs) still like, yeah, I I'm still that blown away by it. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's nuts, man. Uh, It's just not bad for a kid from Jersey who just wanted to work for Barstool one day. Not so bad. like after as you've done all these things right you you wanted to work for barstool you did you're like you got dana's ear you text our or you uh put out a tweet like hey i wonder how rogan does this stuff hey zach candido which is our like super uh, vp of production what, what and he, he answered you in two minutes see that's he answered my favorite you right thing. away like that's that's my favorite thing is just being in the mix like that's yeah, what yeah, i've yeah. always wanted my entire life is just like when i have questions i would love to have them answered and then yep. like, i'm kind of in the and then you now. can pass like, it zach along candido, he's right. by the way og stoolie zach candido oh that's yeah of how course the connection there comes so i was just like i bet he knows he's got one that like yeah. puts this together right so i me, just tweeted them and sure enough yeah two he's seconds, got his he thumb like, on oh, he was in vegas for this one me and him are actually from neighboring towns we were oh, like, really? he graduated high school, neighboring town, one year behind me. I never knew him. But uh, when I got laid off by ESPN and they were looking for contender series broadcasters and they were just like throwing out uh, a wide net for auditions and stuff. And then like he saw, he saw that I was laid off. So I'd be available. And then he, he brought me in for an audition. It's certain. That's I the mean, connection there. I mean, yeah, he, it helped that I was from yeah. Cape Cod because I have on like, my LinkedIn page, like originally from Cape Cod. You know, like, so yeah, he, uh, a wicked, wicked so I've, so I filled dude. in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but except I've been, uh, th- he's a huge Patriots fan, like huge Patriots, Celtics, Red, all, all the Boston teams, but especially the Patriots. And I've been like, well, I live in Vegas now and, uh, you know, I'm going to raise my son here and family. I'm like, the Raiders are here now. I'm just, I think I'm just going to, you know, B- Brady wow. just left and the Raiders just started. I think this is a nice clean break. So let's, you know, do Raiders and he just disowns me for it. He's out on you. I mean, the truth is like any game that I pick or ever have money on, that's like my team. You work in sports for long enough. It's like, you're still a fan, but I'm more of a fan of people. You know, you start like, cause totally. like you to this point in, and you're in a, you're uh, mostly passionate about an individual sport. So that's what I love about individual sports since getting into MMA and the UFC is like, you pick your people. Like, I really love this guy, this guy. And like you pick your people in team sports. Once I started getting to like ESPN, you start working with analysts who are like players. I'm just like, well, what if this guy who is a good friend of mine played for the other team, but I like him. He's a great guy. I hope all the success in the world. So team sports for me are just in a way different place because, because of like where you get to, you know? That's the worst. And it's even like, it's the best in the UFC when you have like a friend and you could root for those people. But when then they face each other, it's just like, Oh 
Man, and now I start are, right. You guys are really gonna fight each other. I know, I know. Danny Egan, Calvin Cater was a big when you one. Become friends with like these guys, and then they fight. Like your heart goes crazy, crazy. out of your chest. When Joseph Benavides fights, like I'm literally, I feel yeah. I'm probably my heart's racing like Megan Olivia's heart. Right, right. And I, you know, and you always have been uh, kind enough to say, listen to Fitz and a Fighter, and listen to start with the Joe Benavides episode. And it's crazy because I didn't really know him at all. Um, I had like met him just briefly one time, but then I sat down with him for more than an hour. I'm just like, Joe B, son of a gun. What a guy. And then, um, I mean, you talk about nerves when Paul Felder's fighting, you know, it's like we broke in together and it's like, I, I started working with him and it was really like his rise to be a name because when you're, you know, he's so good at the broadcasting side of things that it's picked up his fight career. And then the way that he fights, people love him as a broadcast. He's just a great guy. So now it's like when Felder fights, it's like sweaty Palm City. I mean, it's crazy, you know. Let me ask you this. Did you ever have like a Boston accent that you had to like train to get rid of or no? No, I didn't. Um, my, I was born north of Boston and then my dad's job got transferred to Pittsburgh. So we moved to Pittsburgh when I was like one and a half. And then when I was six, we moved back to Cape Cod to Boston. That's where I grew up. So when I like Do learned to have Boston accents, my dad does. My dad is from Dorchester, which is, you know, like, oh, right. Yeah. You know, he doesn't have one. He has like the Kennedy version, like Mayor Quimby and the Simpsons. Oh, like yeah, he kind of has that version <laughs> of it. There's like different kind of dialects to it. But so I learned I've to picked speak. up different ones at Barstool because they've yes. got a ton of Boston. Guys, right. Exactly. Obviously. And yeah, I always like, think it's so funny. Like Portnoy's is like not super thick, but he's got it. Like if you're not just from, certain words like uh, popcorn, mum. Right. Right. He says, if you're rum. from, yeah, like if you're from Boston, Portnoy doesn't really have one, like a thick one. But then if you're not from there, you're like, whoa, check out this Boston accent. You exactly. Know? And like and his my dad mom has a Portnoy's like the Real Housewives. Oh, really? In New Jersey. The Jersey? Like, yeah, oh, yeah. She's, oh, Rob, come do your laundry. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great when this, but anyways, I learned to speak in Pittsburgh, you know, like when I was, you know, one to six years yeah. old, I'm learning to talk in Pittsburgh and, and the Pittsburgh has its own accent. And my mom really didn't want me to have a Pittsburgh accent. She was like, I don't <laughs> like, you know, it's, they just, I mean, we still have friends from Pittsburgh and I actually like it. It's, yeah. it's funny when you hear it, it's obviously lesser known, but, um, but so she's like, no, no, no. She would always correct me. And then I had already learned to talk when we got back and I was in first grade. Um, but yeah, no, I never had it. And it certainly worked out because if you have a Boston accent and then you want to try to be on ESPN or a, as a broadcaster, you've got to rinse all that away. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so where, what, what were we talking about? We were talking about accents. We got off track. You were what were saying, you on? Uh, I think we were just talking about, you, you said, so you've done all this. Yes. At Barstool. So what is now like on the, on the list? Like you've interacted with McGregor, you, you talk with Dana, you have him, had him on your podcast. Like you're doing all these things that the 15 year old you is just like, if I could only do that. So like, what's on the list now? Like, obviously you have your podcast and it's like going well. So like, are there dream guests that you haven't talked to or what, you know? I mean, like the big one is obviously an actual sit down with Connor. Mm-hmm. That's that's the white whale, right? That would be amazing. I've had Kavanaugh on. That was amazing. Like sitting yeah. down with Coach Kavanaugh. And that was a spur of the moment thing too, where it was like, it, these things never happen the way you envision them happening. Like I thought the first time I interviewed Kavanaugh, I would have like a long prepared thing. My interviews, um, I do prep work. I mean, like I basically script out everything I'm going to say before I say it and how I think the conversation is going to go. And I'm very much a prep work guy when it comes to interviews. I'm not super natural when it comes to that. And 
I think I was going to interview someone from Bellator and they dropped out at the last minute and Bellator was just like, uh, Kavanaugh's in, in the city. He could come in in like 15 if you could do it then. I was just like, oh, should I do this? And everyone around me was like, you probably know enough about him to do it, right? And I was like, yeah, I do. Screw it. Let's do it live. And, you know, we just did it off the cuff, but it was great. And it was just like I asked him everything that came off the top of my head. And yeah. sure, there's a million things that I wish I would have asked him. But right. the Connor interview is a big one as far as MMA stuff goes. But as far as Barstool in general goes, it's diving a lot more into the, the music realm. I've been trying recently. I just interviewed Tommy Lee on my podcast. That was yeah. the for me personally yeah 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 i saw you put that out as a tweet i'm just like that's a get right there yeah i mean that was and we hit it off right away like it was just like i was bringing up deep cuts that he was kind of blown away by Uh this is like i said like the stuff that a a childhood me would look at me and be like that's fucking cool like that was awesome for me so the the more music stuff i could do the the more i want to do that interviews with musicians interviews with classic rock bands i would love to do kind of videos explaining uh, the history of rock bands, the history of certain albums. I feel like kids my age, it's like a cliche thing to say they missed out and they don't get it. But if they weren't playing like Guitar Hero, they don't know most of the greatest yeah. rock and roll albums right. and songs of all time. So I would love to somehow figure out a way in 2021 to uh, develop like a music series. Nice, man. That sounds awesome. Are there anything, like you mentioned you wanted to be a movie director, like what projects that were pie in the sky five years ago are now like you're, you're opening your eyes to like, I could actually do this. Is there, is there something that? Uh, yeah, there's like, I want to say there's like two things that come to mind immediately. The movie thing is always going to be in the back of my mind. And I don't know if it's directing. I don't think it is anymore. I think it's probably writing. I don't think I'd be good at directing. I've seen so many, uh, I love watching documentaries about directors. Spielberg documentary is a great one. It's on HBO. Um, I don't think I'd be good at that. I look at yeah. such a, like a, uh, such like you, you have to have the, the eye for it, the taste for it. And I don't think I have that, but writing, I think would be fun. Like writing a sci-fi movie or something. The two things that come to mind right away, one might sound crazy to people. One is I would love to write a comic book. And I think that's realistic. I think at this point I could write a one-off for a, a crappy company. I don't care what it is. I would just love to have my pen to like, you wrote a comic. And two, I would love to do a TED Talk or some sort of thing like that about mental health, about okay. just the anxiety I put up with and the, and the depression that I put, put up with. Because it's like definitely something that I've been open with at Barstool. Super struggle for me. Super anxious person, super depressed person. Comes and goes, obviously, like everyone. It's an ongoing struggle. I've been medicated for, geez, at this point, like 12 years. And I think I would... I think I have like a perspective on it that would be very funny and it would get kids my age to like be able to laugh at themselves a little more about it. Where did uh, that's something that you dealt with all growing up high school, everything. Oh yeah. I mean, since I was like eight years old. Yeah. Like the most like panic disorders, like you wouldn't believe that panic attacks. I mean, for a long time before I did my podcast, I couldn't do interviews at Barstool. I couldn't do radio. I couldn't do a five minute serious spot because I would just have a panic attack. And it wasn't over like anything in particular. It was just it was such a physical reaction. And it's something that I had to like get right on. I took some time. I took like two weeks off uh-huh. a few years ago and just like got right, met with psychiatrists, got on the right medication for me. And it's been great since obviously I kind of treat my podcast as like a victory lap on that shit. Right. Like F that I'm interviewing these people. I'm doing long form things, all the stuff that I couldn't do while I was anxious, while I was having panic attacks, while I was depressed. I'm doing now and I'm living it up. That's part of the reason why I'm so passionate about this stuff that I'm passionate about too, is like 
all that stuff is the stuff that I lean on when I'm feeling down. So when I get to like thank the people that have made it or that have contributed to it, I love that. There's nothing I love more. Did you remember why it started? I mean, it probably, I've, I've had, like, it was probably like parents divorce stuff or super early on, but, but I don't know. I mean, I've met with, I've, I've been, I went to therapy for like 10 years from the time I was like 10 to like, well, 10 to like 16. Uh-huh. I was in therapy for a long time. Yeah. Wow. Well, um, I appreciate you, uh, getting into that and putting it out there. Cause I, you know, there's course. a lot of people I think that it's like, yeah, well, it's obviously more, something like, important to you could be about it. Yeah. yeah. Right. But the more like people are, that's something like Dak Prescott, quarterback of the Cowboys kind of mentioned it. stuff. So was like, people struggle with this that you would never expect. Absolutely. And then you have the, uh, the skip Baylesses of the world saying right. like, yeah, come on, be a, be a quarterback. Be a quarterback. Yeah. Just well, cra- crazy stuff. But I'll say another thing about that barstool and in, in, in relation to all of that couldn't ask for a better employer. Every right. time that I've ever been struggling, every time that I've ever felt uh, overwhelmed and been like, whoa, I just need a second. I need a break. Dave and Erica, both Dave is funny about it because Dave has always taken the mindset of like, he doesn't understand it, but he respects it. And he's like, yeah. listen, whatever you got to do to get right, get right. But don't come to me about this stuff. <laughs> so he's like, go to, he Erica doesn't want to be your therapist, but he's exactly. like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But he's, but he's like, literally whatever you need to do, we will do for you. We will get you right. Like he, he's been great about it. And Erica is very much like, uh, in the beginning, not so much anymore. Cause we're like, she's the CEO. We gotta, we gotta let yeah. her be the CEO, but we <laughs> right, her, right. our work mom, we were just anyone that had issues ever. We would like go into Erica's door, uh, and you know, close the door be like, what do we do about this miss nardini yeah well <laughs> yeah man. they've been great and it's like like i said all the stuff that i do i treat as like a victory lap over that stuff so someday i hope that i can inspire others to say f you to your anxiety right. your depression well you i'm know, sure you already have man. your dreams yeah i'm sure you already have man that's awesome for you to do and uh that's uh that's great okay um we're gonna wrap it up but i gotta shoot my shot i have a few requests uh next time i'm in new york city i'd like to come into barstool hq done i gotta see how it happens done and uh, that's easy if i'm ever in the same place as pup punk i uh would love to play some drums on like a sound check or just let me on the stage to play the drum set because i played drums like growing up and in high school and stuff and it's like i still think they're in the attic of the house i grew up in just all dismantled and i haven't played for years but it's like it never leaves you it's like riding a bike oh of course and so uh so i just gotta at least like sit down and play love to jam with you hey here's a question for you before we get out of here because i blogged about this and i'm I'm fascinated with everybody's answer i questioned every single person at barstool and i got out their answers i put them all on a blog it's like five thousand words what was the first cd you ever bought yeah what do you remember about i think did you put that out in a tweet recently yeah i almost answered it i almost tweeted and answered it but i just i kept it to myself so first cds i bought two i remember uh watching the MTV Video Music Awards. That was the best award show growing up. I know they still of do course. it, but it's like weird. I, I don't Listen, watch it anymore. my dad was a stagehand. He built a lot of the stages for the VMAs. <laughs> they were always at Radio City. That's yeah, right. They're so always like, at Radio City. And that, I remember that like- was like a big thing for us growing up. It was like, well, oh, and the then VMAs are in town. The first time I went to Manhattan, I think I was in seventh grade. And I remember walking by Radio City Music Hall and I was just like, that's it? It just yeah. seemed like a different like planet. like an office building with that It just little, seemed uh, like a different planet that it would seem so far away, even though it was four hours away, right in New York. York, like not a big deal and um 
so I, I remember the, I would, we would tape them VHS tape and we just, I would wear them out, like just watch them over and over and over. Cause we'd watch a lot of MTV and all the music and stuff. So I remember, I think it was 93, um, watched the MTV video music awards. And then like the next day went to the mall, went to a record town, right. When CDs were still in stores of course. and I bought two very, very different albums, Pearl Jam 10, right. Cause they nice. performed. And then the other one was En Vogue. Oh, I mean, you were very <laughs> serious about two very, di- you know, two what I was very gonna different guess? ones. I was going to be like, I was thinking like Alanis Morissette. Is right. Gonna, I had Alanis like Morissette. I saw Alanis Morissette. My dad worked for Anheuser-Busch, worked for Budweiser growing up. So they sponsored everything. So I got to go to a lot of sports games and cool. then they did the Budweiser concert series. So I would just go to concerts all the time. Like saw awesome. any, my dad like, was like MSG all the time. So I yeah. pretty much had the same thing. My brother's a stagehand to this day. So, right. So, like, like growing decent, up with those connections. Right. The best. Yeah. Decent pop. Popular music in the 90s, I probably saw them in concert. You know what I mean? Like all the summer. Alanis Who'd... is still on my bucket list, to be honest. Really? Yeah. I saw Alanis yeah. on the Jagged Little Pill album tour. That, that was her and first so one. And so you saw her with Taylor Hawkins of the Foo Fighters on drums. Is that right? Was he there? He was playing drums for her on that tour. That's crazy. So I saw, and yeah. I saw Foo Fighters and Red Hot Chili Peppers Twin Bill after the Californication <sighs> album, like that 15th row or whatever. I see them Memorial Day weekend playing together this year. Yeah. COVID. Sad. Damn COVID, man. Sad. So, yeah. So, it was like En Vogue had that song, Never Gonna Get It. I don't yep. know if you even, you know. Oh, yeah. And uh, they had a couple of songs on that album. And then Pearl Jam, self-explanatory. I listened to one of those two albums still. I'll let you judge <laughs> which one. Vogue, actually, course, which one has I mean, held up Cheryl, over the yeah. years. Right. <laughs> well, uh, excellent, man. I really appreciate you doing this. This was awesome. Uh, and uh, it won't be the last time because your stories are too good. And the way that you operate, you're going to keep mounting up a lot of stories. I think someday you should also write a book because you already have like a book's worth of stuff. I was thinking Man, that today. If I, if I was I like, the attention span for it. That would be fun. <laughs> Portnoy should write a book too, right? Like it's only yeah. a matter of time before he writes like a tell-all book or not a tell-all yeah. book, but just like, you well, know. Well, I would say it is a matter already... of time because that'll take him a long time to do. <laughs> that'll take him <laughs> well, a You got to write it the way that celebrities write it. You talk to somebody over and over, you just do a bunch of interviews and there you get a ghostwriter. True. That would be the best way to do it because he wrote like a Sharks Have Feelings too. It's like a, a picture book that took him like eight years to write. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Well, uh, at Robbie Fox. Uh, oh, I have to tell you one more story. When we were in Prague, time, when we were in Prague last year, right, UFC Prague, I went over to do the desk because that's Europe is kind of John Gooden's territory. And so I was just like, let me do whenever it's in Europe. I usually do the play by play in Brazil and South America, which is fine. I don't dislike Brazil as much as some other people do, but it's a little third world. It's certainly not Europe in terms of a yeah. place to visit. So whenever we go to Europe, I usually lobby them to Zach, my boss. I'm just like, hey, can I do the desk shows? You like, you know, it's like we all have our requests of which cities we want to go to and stuff like that. And uh, so when Prague was on the thing, I was just like, I do the desk in Prague. I wouldn't mind that. I heard so many good things about it. So in Prague, there was a knockout. Uh, Mikhail Olachechuk gives John Volante a body shot. And Dan Hardy said, uh, and look at Volante. looks like he swallowed a piece of hard candy and he didn't know what to do with it. And then you tweeted it, right? You tweet, you were like, oh my God, that's the best phrase I've ever heard. Like Dan Hardy's amazing. And it got a lot of action. And then I was sitting on the bus afterwards and I was talking with an IMG, like an Endeavor executive, this guy named Michael who lives in London. And we were sitting next to Dan Hardy and we're like, Hardy, that hard candy line played well, you know? 
And he's just like, oh, what do you mean? Like, what, what did I say? You know, and it's just like, oh, like Volante swallowed a piece of hard candy. And like the executive for Endeavor, Michael Riddout is his name. He was just like, yeah, Robbie from Barstool retweeted it. He loved it. You know, and I'm just like, this guy <laughs> from London, right? Executive for IMG Endeavor. And he's tuned in to the Robbie Barstool Twitter feed when you, uh, when you tweet out something that you like as a fan. So that's a good way to wrap it up, man. I got to give you props for what you've done. Blows my mind. Every time I'm on the, they put the, my tweet on the screen, I'm always like, oh, that's me. Look at yeah. me. It's my screen. Yeah. I would do it. I would do it on purpose. Sometimes I'd fire off generic tweets if my mom was sitting next to me on the couch while I was uh-huh. staying with her during quarantine uh-huh. just to try to make her like a proud mom, you know, oh, look, yeah. your son's on ESPN. But you tell you what, I did play her uh, your shout out when you were actually like, oh, Robbie Fox mentions right. that, you know, 25 foot page. Like that. So I appreciate that, Brennan. I appreciate you having me on the show. I think you're an incredibly talented commentator. You're always one of my favorites to listen to on the broadcast. So next time you're in New York, we'll do My Mom's Basement. We'll do it in person. Hey, man, I appreciate that. My Mom's Basement is the podcast. Follow them if you don't already. And uh, to summarize this episode and to quote your mom, great content. Hell yeah. <laughs> A great time with Robbie. Again, check out his podcast, My Mom's Basement, if you liked what you heard there. Uh, Excited to see how his career continues because, as I told him, he's done so much and he's still so young, so I appreciate the time for him coming on my show um, and giving you guys uh, the full story. Next week, I'm back to a fighter as a guest and one who is on the cusp of a UFC championship. Flyweight title challenger Alex Perez will join me on Fitz Nation. Until then, as always, thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.